This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with... Richie Ote, what's up, Richie Ote? How's it going, Steve? Really, How are you? Really good. Why is holding it down in the studio? And uh, wait, we may actually need you to jump in on this one, man. You haven't jumped in on a while for a little while here, man. And this uh, this may be the the start of something something new for you here because uh, Wade's always got lots of really interesting insight on things and what we're talking about here with our good friend Brian Hilliard uh, and jumping into a, a little bit of a series here for the month. Uh, actually, technically a little bit more than that because we're going to do the next five episodes here. Uh, around uh, a subject that is something we, we, we haven't spoken about here before on Reinvention Radio. And let's just say it's a, it's a subject that we really do need to be talking about, uh, which is homelessness. And I, some of you guys knew I'm, I'm, well, this is, we broadcast live out of San Diego, and we do this every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific, hour one, we do Reinvention Radio. Uh, and then hour two, we do our other show, Beyond Eight Figures, where we sit down exclusively with entrepreneurs who've either exited for more than ten million dollars, uh, or currently run businesses that gross more than ten million dollars annually. Uh, but here on Reimagine Radio, we cover a lot of ground. I mean, I think you name it, we've covered it over the years. I mean, Jiminy. But uh, we haven't, interestingly enough, over the years tackled the issue as best that we can around homelessness and helping the homeless and so on. And my wife and I. Uh, and Brian, uh, again, Brian Hilliard is here with us. Uh, say hi, Brian. Say hi. You you yeah, absolutely you good, doing, man. I'm glad you're here. Honored to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. And um, and so we had actually spoken in the past a little bit uh, about this, but Brian and I, before the show, we were talking a little bit about uh, just how long we've been with our respective spouses. And uh, we've been, my wife and I have been together now for 21 years. We got married in 97, and you were saying you and uh, your Significant other, uh, yes, Ariel Ford. Yep. Uh, you guys have been together now for around the same exact amount of time, 21 years there as well. Exactly. And, uh, when uh, Lena and I uh, celebrated our 21-year anniversary this last year, we went to uh, Portland. It's a city that I had never been to and heard lots of interesting things about. And uh, my wife, and she's not a big fan of going out to the tropics because, well, we live in San Diego. And she's like, why do, why do we have to go visit palm trees and beaches when we've got palm trees and, and beaches right here, right? So she's like, mm, why don't we check out Portland? I was like, okay, I've never been there, and let's see what's what there. And uh, and so we moved to, to San Diego uh, about four years ago from Chicago, where there was a pretty solid amount of homeless there in Jiminy. I mean, how you survive being homeless in Chicago is a whole other story. I mean, with the extreme temperatures and the rain and the hot, the cold, I mean, the, I mean just awful conditions there. I mean, I've, I've often said if I was homeless and I lived in Chicago, I'd just start walking south. I mean, what else do you, you know, what do you have to lose, right? Just get out of there. But, uh, again, going to Portland uh, over the summer here and just seeing what's going on there, it was um, frightening and um, and concerning, I think, is uh, I mean, both words come to mind. I mean, it's incredibly scary to think of all of these people who are on the streets uh, and uh, it's incredibly concerning to think about what is possible for them moving forward and what we can do to to help them. I mean, they were just they, they were tent like in San Diego. We have a pretty big homeless population here. In LA, there's a pretty big homeless population 
uh, as well in Portland, uh, just everywhere. I mean, they're just tents everywhere you look. If there's an abandoned lot, even even downtown, if there's an uh, if there's a lot that's uh, clearly not a parking lot, but it's abandoned. I mean, like you'll see hundreds of tents. And I know here in San Diego we have our tent cities, and then we had this uh, unbelievable breakout of hepatitis uh, that that just affected so many of the homeless. And 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 how couldn't it? I mean, with, we'll get into a lot of that, but obviously with with no access to uh, just basic resources, clean water as a as a perfect example there i mean if you can't afford a home how are you going to afford a bottle of, of water i mean it's just like these sort of things i mean they go hand in hand so uh, the spread of, of hepatitis was something that was a very real issue uh that took place this past year uh here in san diego and i'm sure uh in other communities where they have a lot of homeless gathered in uh in a single location you're going to see those same sort of of problems, um, and I know that there are companies uh, that throw money at you know, these nonprofits in an attempt to help them. And you know, every dollar is appreciated. And then there are those nonprofits that actually uh, do go out and do work uh, with the homeless. I think um, we we volunteered at a soup kitchen here. Uh, I believe it was called Urban Angels. I think is the name. Do you know that one, Brian? Is that a, is that a familiar one for you? I, I know of it. You and know, I know of people it. that participate and yeah i know they're doing some pretty good work yeah so that was like a housing facility and uh and a training facility and then of course a food uh facility as well there but i just i was so uh, shocked i don't know why shocked i don't know why shocked i mean but i was so shocked coming out of portland and just seeing what was going on there that i knew we had to address this in some way shape or form here on Reinvention Radio. And I'm not saying that we are going to be able to come up with solutions. I don't want to sit here and make those promises that we'll be able to say, hey, you know, here's here's the solution. But I do know that the first step in all of this uh, is creating awareness, and we're certainly just trying to do our part on that, Wade. No, no, the first step in the solution is make me emperor. <laughs> and then I'll take care of everything. So it, ah, it, it's not a complicated problem. It, yeah. yes. All right, so seriously, okay, Wade, you're emperor. What do you do? Recognize homeless encompasses four or five different groups, and we're trying to treat them all monolithically. Very well and said. if we simply separate them and go, okay, what is this group? Is this group mentally cha- uh, a mental illness situation that's having trouble maintaining? Mm-hmm. Is it rents too high? You know, normal functioning working family just can't afford rent. Is it, um, I just want to be a vagabond. You know, I want to live a life on the road, mm-hmm. right? So by it, choice. Yeah. Which it, actually is something, Brian, I know that we were going to talk about as well, is that whole homelessness by choice. We have covered that. Yeah, so right. I'd love to chat a, yeah, more about that on Yeah, it's at least those three. It's at least those three. Not more. <laughs> and they all take a different solution mm-hmm. because the yeah. groups of people are doing different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Point well taken. You just uh, you just run. covered the whole situation. So how do you see it? I mean, in terms of so first of all, what is your let's let's just start kind of at the beginning here, and we brought you in for a reason because, well, you have experience yeah. in, in working with the homeless. So why don't why don't we start there? Okay. Uh, in terms of what your experience is, and just nice and nice and tight on that mic there. Well, I appreciate your view and and Wade's because uh, you covered the you know the the entire basis really and. 
I'm, I'm honored to be here, as I said before. Thank you for covering uh, this issue, too. Yeah. It's so important. And the population everywhere around the country is growing. You know, the homeless it's, population. Yeah, it's an epidemic. Yeah. And uh, there are just fractured services. And as he said, there's many, many groups of, of the population. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, there's uh, single women with children. The population is growing more than any of the other population. Yikes. But we have well-intentioned people at the federal level, state level. We have the NGOs. You know, we have uh, wonderful philanthropists. Mm -hmm. But it, but everything, everybody has a different idea. Everybody has different thoughts. Everybody can only invest short term. We're not really thinking long term, yeah. which is as we. I think the consensus now is. Uh, uh, first, housing. Housing is the is the key now. We mm -hmm. we used to you know some Chicago would work with transitional facilities or or long term residential treatment facilities, mm -hmm. and somebody would be nice enough to invest millions of dollars to get that done. Or, or um, you know we try to do some temporary uh, bridge sheltering, mm -hmm. which is the tent the tent issue. Mm -hmm. And so we, everybody would go to one project, and there's wonderful people working on these things. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is the population is growing so much, the services don't meet that demand, and people who are, are trained and, and actually have that kind of devotion and intention to caring for these folks that, mm -hmm. that have tremendous needs, mm -hmm. there's just not the uh, uh, supply. Yeah, the demand overruns that. So, so you covered it all. <laughs> and, and I want to take a step back, though, just and Wade will get to you in one second here. So I just want to take a step back, though, Brian, and and, and I want people to understand what your experience sure. is in terms okay. of working with the homeless and what you've done. Well, thank you. Yeah. Please. Okay. Well, it it, um, it goes back fifty years. Uh, living in Portland, Oregon, as a young child, I had a real curiosity about the population. Uh, if so you even fifty years ago, there was homeless on the streets in, in it was much it was much worse it was even worse 50, 50 yes. years ago yes wow. I, I'll, I'll give you a point since you visited Portland um, what is now the upscale gentrified uh, Pearl district Pearl district yeah yeah <laughs> was Skid Row and that's where my first encounter was with with the population mm. my mom was taking me to grandma's when I was a little boy and I'd see people piled up on the streets with nowhere to go except the rescue mission and so I always was curious why that was happening. Just as you open up the program, that's what you were asking. Yeah. I had that same in, internal uh, uh, question. And uh, so I explored it. And my mom was, uh, I guess, courageous enough or <laughs> crazy enough with me <laughs> to, uh, you know, see what was happening. So that was my first encounter. And that led me on to work, working with every aspect of what you guys just covered, transitional facilities, uh, shelters, uh, big hospitals, yeah. mental facilities. Uh, but my main goal and what I've really enjoyed doing and devoted to uh, and the service I think I provide the most for is, is, is relationship-driven. Mm. Um, I, I grew up with um, Sisters of the Road Cafe and Operation Night Watch up in Portland, and they really truly cared about the person, uh, dignified dining, uh, barter programs where you could work and eat, uh, housing issues. But what mainly I was doing is my ministry was just to go out and deal with one person one at a time or within the camps, which mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 people. But to actually develop a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-twenty relationship where there was love and respect and dignity. And once, once, once they trust you and respect that 
dynamic, you're going to get some outcomes and results. These other things we just outlined are beautiful things, mm -hmm. but it's so fractured, and they're just Band-Aid type issues. Finally, we're getting to the point where we know that if you can put them into housing, if you can transition somebody from the street to temporary tent housing or whatever into permanent housing, that's mm -hmm. it. Now, we're doing that here in San Diego. Father Joe's and some of the ministries are really working hard to build these huge facilities so, so we can eventually have enough uh, supply to mm -hmm. meet the demand. So, and just so I'm clear, are you saying that you, uh, as part of an organization, would go in and just go into these camps and start talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, or did you just do this on your own, and it was just a, a sort of like a personal mission, or was yeah. there a more formalized structure for you in working with the homeless? Well, there's a lot of synchronicities here. You, you've covered it all again, Steve. I uh, started uh, with, you know, I don't say training, but my, my experience was with these these groups, uh, as I said, Operation Nightwatch, and, and Portland has a, a major issue because they're the most um, upfront you know, they're pioneers. They're very progressive in these programs. So you would, you would volunteer? So I would volunteer okay, I it, when okay. I was a little kid. And then I moved in. Wow. As I started working, I was an invest, in the investment business. I started accumulating um, money to, yeah. to actually invest and build these so, transitional facilities. So you would help? Okay. Yeah. So, you would so help I've done it all. Okay, I've, I, it. But the last 20 years, when I met REL down here, I went back to the roots of what I enjoyed and what I was what I, you know, what, what I was trained to do, and that is develop relationships with small groups of people, develop the trust, go right into their... I used to live under the bridges with, with the folks. You, you, yeah. you would literally yeah. go... I, I, would, I would take off my suit. Obviously by choice. I would take off my Armani suit <laughs> and throw off the shoes and, and live for sometimes weeks at a time with my, my, my brothers and sisters. Sir, how old were you when you were doing I was in that? my 20s at that time. So it was a progression and just an evolution of sorts. But I started with some of the greatest people. You know, the Sister of the Roads Cafe, they were so dedicated. They, they created all these new programs for them to work, get food. But they, their, their mission and their statement was, in our, in our building, there are no strangers. Mm. There are only friends we haven't met yet. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I took with me the rest, mm -hmm. you know, in my uh, earlier days. Yeah. And Wade, what were, you gonna, what were you going to jump in on there? Well... Being that you Emperor, asked for my I'm sorry, opinion. Emperor Wade. There, there, were you? Let me we let go. me address you properly here, sir. <laughs> Emperor we Wade, we're, yes. we're doing pretty good there. Well, I, I just again, it, you know, being that you've invited me in the conversation, I'm going to give my opinion and I'm going to advocate for some things. Yeah, for sure. Right, and so reflecting off uh, what our guest was saying earlier about the uh, inconsistency, yeah. <clears throat> we have an ongoing debate about the role of government. And this is one of the things that I think this is the role of government because what's required is consistency. We can't have, oh, profits were down, so we closed a homeless shelter for next year. Maybe we'll open it again the year following, right, or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. This is an instance when people go, well, what's the role of government? Long-term planning, consistency over time. That's what the government can do. Now, that doesn't mean that the government has to perform every role in every aspect of everything. But you but, think involvement needs to happen. But, the, yeah, we have these amazing people. They're called civil engineers. Do you, yeah. do you agree They're with that, Brian? I mean, do you planners. think government should be involved in this conversation? Well, I, I think that was my point. Maybe I wasn't clear enough. And Wade's right. 
but the, the problem with that is federal government, the bureaucracies versus philanthropists versus NGOs, yeah. they're all working off a different time, you know, time frame. They're all working off different intentions. Yeah. They all have different financial structures. They all have different ideas. It's just like if all four of us went to a movie, you know all four of us are watching a different movie. For sure. So if you go onto the sites with the homeless sites right now, and you get pro, you know, people that are really involved, you get people first screaming at one another. Secondly, every opinion is different. And a lot of people still, which is really the issue, and I think Wade's maybe talking about this, whether it's government, philanthropists, or whatever, you're dealing with people. You're dealing with relationship. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning that earlier, Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what? Richard. And, and there's so much stigma. There's so... You know, we don't even understand or, or have the ability to care for somebody that's been living on the street for 20 years. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you diffuse the situation when one guy's high on meth and he's got a knife in his hand and the other guy's full of Jack Daniels and they're fighting with each other and you're in charge of the facility and it's your responsibility to take it down a notch? Mm-hmm. You, that, that's a learned, that, that's something you have to learn by experience. And that, so there's all these different kinds of uh, complications yeah. and, and dynamics that are at work, which causes people to just do the short-term stuff. Yeah. In in your opinion, does it seem as if we need to kind of, I mean, I don't want to use the word segregate, but kind of separate these different, you know, the ones that are high on meth and drinking jack shouldn't mentally be unstable in, yeah or mentally unstable should they be in the same facilities as the single mother with the children i mean i, I yeah i i i, I i'll paraphrase Benj, benjamin franklin men and women created these problems men and women have to find the solutions to these problems that you both covered a lot of solid ground in terms of solutions wade's really spot on the only issue there are issues and setbacks and drawbacks and time frame issues but I think, again, the consensus now is housing and get any segment of the population into housing. But you have it's so complicated because you have to separate the mentally ill from the women and children. Yeah. And we're trying to do that around the city. Father Joe's now has a tent city or a, or a, or a, uh, a shelter, shelter yeah. being built, a bridge shelter that is just for women and children. Mm-hmm. So you have to even separate the population. It's, it's just like anything. It's like this Me Too movement. There's a lot of issues around it a lot of layers mm-hmm. and to we're it. just now yeah. and we're still after all these years trying to address the problem of homelessness we're still finding out the proper solutions we're mm-hmm. not there yet mm-hmm. we're moving towards that i hope the evolution is there but we the the fact of the matter is the majority of people we don't even recognize who's homeless mm-hmm. i just read a i just read an interesting statistic too um that's that said that here just in san diego there's and they and they have to just kind of guess at yeah. this, but their best guess is that there's a thousand mobile homeless, which means people living in vehicles. Much more than that. Much more than that. Much more. You than think that. it's much more than uh, that? This, oh, for sure. The numbers, you know, they they have volunteers that go out and count, and and they're on the register, and it fluctuates constantly, uh, but they say probably. Uh, 
underestimating that population by about 60 percent. The mobile yeah. homeless. and the mobile, too. Mobile oh, you're talking about homeless in general? In general. Do we, do we know what the current numbers are by we some estimates There's, here? In San Diego. In San Diego. Around 40,000-plus. L.A. is about 70,000. I think Portland's in the neighborhood of about 15,000. But I, I, would, I would suggest that those populations are probably a lot bigger. And like I said, we don't even recognize, because again, the stick, people don't communicate when they're homeless. Yeah. Some of the, you know, and the people living under the poverty line. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can guarantee you in La Jolla, my area, there's people that are moving their cars into the alleys mm -hmm. and, and they're living in their cars. Mm -hmm. They, and uh, it's happening in San Jose, where there's a whole street dedicated to people that are working two or three jobs, and they're they're par they're living on the street in their uh, Winnebagos and all those other you know trailer mm. type type uh, facilities. Mm -hmm. you know. So, and it's let's crazy. talk about this in terms of your experience with homelessness by choice, because not you personally, but you've uh, you, you've encountered people and actually have befriended people who are, and, and one man in particular that I know we've had a chance to chat about, or at least Ariel and I had a chance to chat about, I think you and I talked about it as well, um, but one man in particular that you've had a chance to befriend uh, who, who is homeless by choice. What, so yes. what, what is that all about? Like, just, I, I can't even get my arms around it. Well, I don't, I don't like this, the percentages, although we have to use percentages because I think they're always a little bit off but generally speaking I would say 10 to 15 percent are functional uh, people who are with free will and have the ability to live off on the street and off off like they have a bank account somewhere some, some people do or or they have a, a way of raising money whether it's uh, you know friends and family or, or begging, someone or, or, or begging or, yeah and, and um, uh, some sort of way of or, yeah, or, or in this case, the guy was living off a Boeing pension, but he was, you know, he was choosing to be on the street. Mm -hmm. And uh, why? Like, well, I mean, well, what, there, what would be the like? You've had, I mean, you've had long conversations well, with this guy. So, so well, I've, why? I've, I've, I, he's a dear friend, and right for years and years, yeah. Um, and and others. Uh, you and know, someone I, who actually watches your have, house. I used to have right? twenty or thirty people living in my house. Twenty or thirty. Uh, yeah, in the homeless. Yeah. Uh huh. Because I would travel a lot, and I'd let them just take care of the house, and 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 again, but it took years to to gain their respect and 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 that kind of relationship. But mm -hmm. um, I did have lots of conversations. So there's lots of people. They're, they're called, you know, they're uh, white. What's the when you travel into the s sunshine nomad or no the the people that are choosing the. They live in Arizona Gyps three months out of the year. No, snow no. Oh, oh, snowbirds. Snowbirds, yeah. yeah. There's actually snowbirds in, in the homeless community, people that are, again, choosing to live on the street, and then they jump on the train and go to Arizona uh, in the, in the uh, winter. And, and, and there's 10 or 15% of those people that, that are very capable. They don't like authority. They're, they were very rebellious. They might have a little, you know, like so many of us, have some, some sort of mental challenge or something. Mm -hmm. But 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 they they can manage it. So even in the by choice grouping, you think that there is some degree of mental yes. challenge or I, illness or something I, I, going I, on I, there. Have you ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Many 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 okay. years ago. Yeah, I I volunteered. I started my work in Damish in Portland mm. uh, when Reagan became president. And I'm not, I'm not blaming Reagan. There's no judgment here. There's not. But during that period, they 
they let go of all the federal money. They, they reallocated all those resources. They shut down all the federal facilities. Damage was one of the biggest in the, in the United States. And we literally let, let about 10,000 mentally challenged people onto the street. And I guarantee you, uh, our country has never recovered from that. A anywhere from 33% of the people on the street, as maybe as high as 50%, are very, very mentally um, challenged mm -hmm. and all various degrees but it's a very it's a serious issue the population in, in, in increased the population in the jails increased and we've never recovered financially economically you, you know uh, uh, social justice all those issues have been impaired because of that move back in the uh, late 70s 80s mm. I, I'm interested in something when you were just saying that you had 20, 30 people stay at your house. I'm assuming that's not all at once, right? That's over time, people have... Uh, well, sometimes we crammed in quite a few people. I wouldn't say as high as 20 or 30, but, you know, 10 to 15 people at a time. At a time, wow. I, I had a... I, again, I was, I was in the investment business, and I, I did do fairly well, so the house was big enough to, to entertain all those folks. Mm -hmm. but, but where I was going to go with that was... You made an interesting comment, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I tried to write it down, but I was still just <laughs> fascinated with what you're saying. Um, you said it took some time for them to gain trust in you. Yes. You're the one letting them in your house. Uh-huh. It should be the opposite. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, but, like, you weren't worried. It sounds like you weren't as worried as... You were more worried about how they yeah. felt about you yeah. than you about them. Definitely. That says a lot about you. <laughs> so well, kudos. Well, Obviously, you. you care. But um, mm -hmm. what, where did that come from? Like, it doesn't do – you, do you worry about, like, what's going to happen to your house yeah. or – Well, that's what Steve and I were talking about earlier when, uh, in, you know, prepping for this interview and him getting to know me a little bit. And that's – really been, I think, my, my mission and passion. It started when I was four or five years old. Mm. And that's, that is, you know, I, had, I wanted to find out, first of all, why people were living on the street, and secondly, what's, what's, what's like you said earlier, peeling away the onions. What's the mm. deeper issues? Mm -hmm. And how does it relate to me? Because when you, did, you, you outlined that wonderful pyramid situation, all of those can really contain the self. So those gifts that those people were giving me, whether I was cramming 20 people in my house or not, were gifts given to me. Do I receive them mm. or do I throw them out? I always chose to receive them. There was something, there was a pony in there somewhere for yeah. me. So as much as, as, much as uh, I might have been helping others, I was really helping myself and developing myself and mm. really finding out you know, the, the, real, the realizations of who I am as a person. So mm. thank you for sharing that, and that's, that's what I did. So... Um, so there must have been, I mean, it, and this is something that obviously uh, is going to affect, well, most of us in terms of taking, uh, taking that step. And there has to be preconceived notions here about who these people are that have to be abolished to some extent in order to feel as though, you know, these are uh, human beings right. that need our love and need our support and are not dangerous People, I mean, you, it doesn't sound like you were ever scared. Were, were you ever scared? No. Uh, so no. you were never scared. No, I could, I could share with you encounters that I again had to, ha, had to diffuse that that are life threatening and 
And against uh, you or between? I chose that. It just—it was just part of my nature. We were talking about it again earlier. It's just something that I had to find out within myself too. Mm -hmm. it, so it was a journey I was on. I just wanted to ride the magic carpet ride, but it involved uh, exposing yourself to a lot of danger, a lot of a lot of things that are going on. But what I learned from all that—not only the gifts, but the the real gifts—was learning how to care and love and mm. communicate with people in a much higher level or an expanded level mm -hmm. where I could, I could create a safe space for somebody to, to be vulnerable and share their hurt, mm -hmm. share their despair, sh share their incredible story. I've got things, I've got stories from the street, my street life that would just blow you away in terms yeah. of opening your heart and understanding people a little better and then learning more about yourself in terms of how to communicate with yeah. people. Well, I think, and honestly, if you're, if you're open to sharing, <laughs> at least one of those stories, I think it would help to illuminate and, and maybe um, maybe for some one person, it will help them to view the homeless in a different yeah. light. So, I mean, if you're willing to illuminate uh, at, le at least one of those experiences and, and what opened you up in a way that, you know, kind of cracked you open differently, that uh, we'd love to hear that. Well, there were so many stories in the past finding somebody's passion and, and helping them, you know, uh, develop that passion, whether it's arts or playing an instrument or something. Mm -hmm. uh, those were all great things. But the uh, most recent, and, I, and I'll tie it all into uh, certain areas, certain way people feel about these things. I live in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked uh, in the legislature for almost two years because they, they, they approved a policy where they would hire uh, college students to sit on the benches during the summer so the homeless wouldn't sit in front of their retail places. Mm. And, 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 and I'm not, again, I'm not judging that. I understand the, the issues of yeah. that. Downtown San Diego has a huge problem. Mm -hmm. The Padres are working hard to try to help with Father Joe to get some people out of the, in front of the, their establishments, the their business, and, yeah, sure. all that stuff. But this was, this was kind of heart-wrenching, kind of gut-wrenching kind of uh, behavior or, or a policy. And mm -hmm. they, they, they applied that policy for two years. Well, the one person that was very affected by it was somebody that uh, was really having a hard time. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his name, well, anyway, he's, he's a good man. Uh, but they were really applying a lot of force, getting the police out, removing them constantly, and all he wanted to do was sit. Mm -hmm. So one of the earlier um, uh, tools you learn, and which is the most important for anyone who just want, may be listening and wants to help somebody, is just to listen. The gift of listening is really, really one of the one thing all of us can do to help mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. You might find out some amazing things, and it might lead you to some amazing things in terms of service or help for somebody. But yeah. this person I was always listening to, and we developed a strong relationship, and uh, he came back to me about a, two months later. I kind of lost, lost touch with him. It usually happens. They have to go somewhere else or removed. And in this case, La Jolla was removing him every day. But he came back and said, I was, I, I was going to commit suicide and, until uh, I had my encounter and, you know, my, my uh, you guys discussion spoke, with yeah. you. And, and as we developed the relationship, I went from total despair and thinking of killing myself to um, 
knowing that I have a you know a reason to live. Mm. Um, that so happens more often than not. Those kinds of things. I I can I can only <laughs> speculate. I just can't even imagine what it's like to. And 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 the removal, it's like I mean, where and then even where do you go? Yeah. You know, right? So I mean, you remove me from here and you put me where, and it's like where where am I supposed to go? But yeah. let, let's let's change gears just for for a second here, okay. and I and I want to I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the symptoms versus the disease in terms of the symptoms being uh, you know, obviously the analogy here being the symptoms being okay now you're you're homeless. Uh, versus the disease, which is what causes the homelessness. And so what, what I want to try to understand a bit more, and based on your experiences and the people that you've spoken with, is h- how, do we, how do we get to the root problem to, to cut this off at the pass before they end up being homeless? Yeah. Like there, there's got to be – people don't start out homeless. I mean, they, they, have a, they have a family. Uh, most people have a family. I mean, very few are just abandoned on a police or fireman's doorstep, right? I mean, like, most start out in a family somewhere. So they had some sort of support system. Yeah. And they probably went to school as a kid and, and these sort of things. But, like, at some point, something, something happened, right? And so what I'm trying to figure out is... Can we do something? And in your opinion, what can be done? There's there there is that 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 inflection point. There's there is something that happens that I think if we could pinpoint what that is, then maybe we stand a better chance of keeping more people off the street in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, and, and again, we can put them into groups and this, that, and the other, and, yeah. and there are the people who are already homeless. Okay, fine. So let's, let's figure out how to best address that. How do we prevent more people from ending up on the streets? The, 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 again, the, the symptoms versus the disease. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts around that? Well, that's uh, a great question. And uh, first of all, I'd say we'll never be whole, we'll never heal from this, we'll never have a solution until we can all realize and have the awareness that those people are us. Mm. (laughs) Um, And we're only as good as finding a solution or or helping somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Because the majority of us, whether we like to think about it and we don't like to, there's a lot of issues like this in the world, very big issues that aren't you know, there's, we're not finding solutions to, whether it's climate change, water, uh, war, whatever it may be. Those are big mm-hmm. issues. Homelessness is right up there. And it's because, yeah. as Wade was saying, we really haven't found the long-term solutions. Again, we're always trying to catch up with the demand of this very, very uh, unfortunate situation. Yeah. And it's, it's because of the complexity, but it's also because of our, our attitudes. It's our feelings about each other we're still in that situation where we're separate from one another instead of being inclusive with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that includes homeless more than anything. Yeah. Because uh, everybody has their truth, and we're only as good as the truth. And once we find those truths, we be, the truth becomes bigger than all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that we need to help in any way we can. The, the, what we're finding out on a long-term basis is that housing is the key. Mm-hmm. But we're always going to have homeless. We're always, 
I don't know if you know this, but there's 40% of our population is one emergency away from living on the street. 40%. 40%. There's 40% of us that are living under the poverty line right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're improving in other areas of the world in terms of hunger and, and issues like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, in our country, we're slipping a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when you say housing is the key, do you specifically mean affordable housing? First housing is what they call There's many names around the country. Affordable housing is the only way because you have to have so many programs to move them from the, home, from, from the street to temporary housing, which is bridge shelter, the tent type of housing. More people are building that right now because it's, it's, it's cheapest. But you're absolutely right. Affordable housing is the only way to go. And that, that takes subsidies, floating bonds, uh, philanthropists, uh, NGOs. Uh, you know, uh, that's why I stepped away from it. Uh, it was like I was building another business when I was involved in transitional facilities and all the big ones, you know, the ones that are required for people to get the proper hygiene or, or rehab help or whatever it takes. That takes so much management, so much money, so much personal... Uh, you know, people investment. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, very complicated. So, the, but the key is if all these people can work together, we'll find permanent housing. Father Joe's is just building a 25-story structure with a thousand plus units that with the uh, intention to move people from the street into temporary housing, then into um, permanent housing. Mm -hmm. Everywhere there you go, but money's, you know, a lot of people feel, pick yourself up from your bootstraps, mm -hmm. that kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Those people, you know, they cause their problems. Why should I pay taxes for them? Or why should I contribute any kind of money? So, there, you know, it's always a push-pull, and there's a lot of different opinions and feelings about it. Mm -hmm. So Wade laid it out, you know, laid it out pretty clearly, but we're all people just trying to survive and get by. And it co comes back to that. Do I have scarcity consciousness, or can I be of service to others and maybe help in any way I can, whether it's just listening or getting out my checkbook? Mm -hmm. any, anything helps, but the key is, is affordable housing. It'd be interesting to see, like, if, if you actually stacked up the cost of removing the people and the police and, yeah. you know, going back and forth into the jail system or whatever it's, systems. Like, there, there probably is it's probably cheaper to make... A small house for some, or, you know, not house, but apartments well, or whatever we Richard, call. you hit it right on. That's a beautiful question, and there is data, very extensive data. I mean, there's some very smart people, very dedicated, devoted people doing this. And uh, everybody's kind of, a lot of people have taken a business approach to this in the last uh, two decades. And that's why first housing is the key. It costs around, in San Diego, for instance, 1400 a month per individual. To, to take care of them in these needs, you know, find a find a place for them for the night or whatever. And it takes about costs about seventy nine hundred as a family of four. So they've already outlined all those costs in a month seventy nine hundred a month. A month, a yes. month. Yes. Yeah, but what they found that that's cheaper <laughs> than what we're you know our our entire budget is allocated for these people who need emergency care. They're going right to the emergency centers, as you know. And that's more than just homeless. These are people, again, that are below the poverty line, mm -hmm. that have no insurance. So they're part of this conglomerate, this whole thing where we're draining our resources. Mm -hmm. And they have found out specifically that if you put 
a roof over someone's head, those costs go down far, far below than what we're uh, uh, expending now. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I'm not going to try to put these two together, but I wouldn't be surprised if a large percentage or at least a good percentage of the people in jail were people that just like, screw it. I, I need something anyway. They yeah. go commit a crime. Like, oh, at least I got a head or Three roof over my head and, and I got a meal. And well, as you know, our, our jails are privatized, and uh, the more people in them now, the merrier. The more income for the in investors, and mm -hmm. a good percentage of them are privatized. So, mm -hmm. we've found, a, yeah, a lot of clients for our jail systems. Wade, you were uh, you were jumping well, on yeah, your chair there. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, if I may, love what you're saying, but our conversation's the problem <laughs> because we're conflating everything again. Um, you're telling, and I apologize, I've forgotten the guest's name. Brian. Brian. Brian is telling us great human personal stories of the micro level of the problem. And there's validity in that. You know, basic human decency, right? But we've got a macro problem, right? We've got the macro problem of the mental illness situation. We've got the macro problem of I want to be a vagabond. And housing isn't the solution for a vagabond because he doesn't want the house, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Or the and, rules that come with the house. Or the rules that come with the house. Mm -hmm. And everything else isn't a homeless problem. It's a cost-of-living real estate problem. And if we're going, the problem is our economy is so out of whack that people can't afford to live within our society, the solution isn't, well, let's just throw money at it. The solution is correct the underlying economic situation that creates the circumstance. And maybe that is subsidized housing, right? But you, if we allow the real estate market to blow up and the government's constantly chasing that blowing up market, just trying to throw money at it, that's not going to solve or that's going to be a painful solution. And one other thing I want to throw in is the philosophy of society. We've got, in most general terms, and I hate using them, conservative versus liberal, whatever, but those are two fundamental basic philosophical differences, right? And they both have some v validity in their point, but I think what they both need to accept, and I get frustrated with my relatives from rural areas moving to cities and complaining about the rules in cities, and it's like, yeah, but you live in a city now. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're living amongst three million people means, no, you can't go out front and pee on your tree. Maybe you could do that in the country, but not here. Yeah. So in the same way, we've got, for instance, these vagabonds that go, I don't want to follow the rules of society, but boy, all the benefits of society are really cool. Well, we need to find a balance there. So we've got to figure out that problem. We've got to figure out the mental health problem. That's a huge problem that in and of itself has to be addressed. And then recognize most of the homeless problem we're talking about is the economy. Nobody can afford a house. That's why they're living in a car. Yeah. But as long as we conflate the true touching human story versus the macro solution, I'm reminded of Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive when he catches up with Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford's trying to explain and Tommy Lee Jones goes, I don't care. I'm just here to take you back. You can tell them. I don't care 
about the nuances. And as cold as that is, at the macro level, that has to be the attitude. Now, at the micro level, at the psychological level, every human has dignity. Dignity needs to be recognized. But if we get stuck in the little stories, we can't see the big picture. And then there's where, if I may, government comes in, right, at the macro level. Government does the research and studies that the NGOs can then take and make decisions from. Government goes, we're going to plan out a city with these areas, just like we have zoning laws. And now within that structure, NGOs, philanthropists, everybody else work. That's where I see the point of government. Yeah. So uh, your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, I, I uh, to the mic. Deep, deep respect <laughs> for what you just shared. I was, I was, I, I tried to give you some props early about that because I think you did outline it uh, beautifully. Um, I was just trying to outline the micro and macro aspects of it mm-hmm. since I've been, uh, you know, in, in the middle of it for 50 years. Yeah, you felt it as uh, well as uh, seen well, it. And that's, that's the complexity that I was trying to outline. I'm not as articulate as you guys, so I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I was doing my best to just share exactly what you were you just beautifully outlined is that there, it is complex. You don't want government doing everything. That you can't have that bureaucracy implanted into some of the uh, things that people are trying to do, whether they're NGOs or philanthropists, et cetera. But yeah, you. But I'm I'm, I'm I come from the Gandhi way of life. Is that you know be and the I change, applaud that and be the change you want to be, yeah. and then each person. The only transformation will come if you can touch one person. But mm-hmm. so that's why that's why we'll be here three years from now talking about the same thing, and we'll all have the same ideas. Uh, I would certainly invite anybody to dive. If you have an idea like you just outlined, uh, Wade, I'd I'd dive right in and contribute because there's a lot of people that have the same ideas. But again, the problem is so complex. It it it, it doesn't evolve involve micro and macro aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But the macro aspects, again, as I outlined, are way behind the, the demand so, in this country. And, and just let me ask you this then. So just playing out a sort of a three-year window here, can we make a dent yeah. in this in any reasonable way in the next three years? I mean, using that yeah. as a realistic timeline here and, and if so what, what what sort of dent can we make and, and what's going to have the most impact well and again i'll just in in, in my 50 years of, of 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 being active in this area in the last 10 years i think we've made some inroads and that's kind of what i was you know trying to share in terms of housing we finally are coalescing around this one issue mm-hmm. i don't care if it's government money i don't care you know again because is there a genuine concern, or do people just not want to see him on their doorstep? Exactly. That, that's, that's part of the complexity. Again, those are the stigmas attached with this community. And I, I, I you know, even, well, uh, we refer to them differently. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, there's so names. What, uh, yeah, so how can you, I mean, that's probably a great place to start. Well, how can it, we refer, and, even just that? And, and, and Wade was right. The feeling aspect for me comes in. I would just suggest that we learn to listen better, and we learn, we learn our words. We learn and, and care about what we're sharing with people. We can see that every day on, on social media. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the homeless. Are we, are, are we acknowledging people? Are we accepting people for who they are? 
or can we make some positive contributions in that person's growth? Mm-hmm. But you have to you have to start from the root, and that is to gain trust and respect from that person. If you're just going to call people names or be anonymous, we're not going to get any. Yeah, and and I do think that done. a lot of people are afraid that if they're the first ones to to reach out and and make that point of contact and have you know develop that that connection when no one else has now all of a sudden it's going to be like and, and God, I hate but, but to Steve, use this analogy yeah let me finish the okay. thought so i mean I, I hate to use this analogy but it's like if you get a stray dog and you start putting scraps out on your on your doorstep you know then the, then that stray dog yeah. is going to come back for more food and more food. and i think a lot of people are afraid that if they make that personal connection like we got a guy who walks around our neighborhood in university city with a suitcase and you see him all the time everywhere just walking just walking with the suitcase and he's harmless yeah. but he's just walking with the suitcase and you and you see him all over in all sorts of areas and i don't think that anyone me included yeah ever stops to even just say hello and what's your name because of that fear yeah. yes brian what it's beautiful uh, I just wanted to add to that and add to what you're sharing and, and really tie into what Wade was saying. And I think it's a vicious cycle. What you're, you're discussing our own feelings about the community. Right. And if those feelings don't change, and I don't want to be, I am going to be micro about it, if our feelings don't change about our perception about people in that the community, one guy. we won't ever have permanent housing. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, even I, down, I, go ahead, Wade. Well, you well, well, just I'll simply. Remember. Steve, he answered your question that you posed earlier. You said, how do we find the root cause that creates the problem that everything ripples from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just explained in the micro, the macro solution, which is in your life, treat everybody that you deal with, your brothers, your family, your coworkers, as a human being. And now... If we're doing that, then that person doesn't get to the point of depression to become homeless. Mm -hmm. That person, we're not oblivious to their mental illness that might need addressing. Mm -hmm. We're not oblivious to my buddy's running short on money and he's about to get put out on the street. Mm -hmm. He answered your question, which is the root solution is care about everybody in your life deeply. Well said. Mm -hmm. And then help it from there. Yeah. Richie, I think you had something that we only got a few minutes left here. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing we have five weeks of this. <laughs> um, I mean, even to your point of the stray dog, like the stray... And I hate to use that analogy. No, but it's but a great, I mean, it's a perfect analogy And the stray dog is somebody's brother. The, yeah. yeah, that stray dog c- could have been just a dog that wanted to be loved somewhere else and at one point was, and maybe that stray dog's became homeless when the family became homeless, right? I'm, I'm taking this a little yeah, far here, but, you. you know, it's it, it has to start with how we feel about one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just has to, because otherwise the conversations can't take place. And Yeah. yeah. So, Brian, we got uh, we got about three minutes left here, and uh, why, don't, why don't we let you try to wrap things up a little bit and give us some, some final thoughts. Well, everybody's... As best you can here yeah, Everybody's thoughts were really valuable and uh, uh, well-intentioned and... and uh, uh, I agree with you all, and I just add, and it goes to Wade's last uh, bit of input. If you just go out and and engage somebody that you you're not familiar with and you're a little uncomfortable with, 
and you just sit down and, and start a conversation with them, you'll learn a lot more about them. You'll learn about their life story. If they invite you into their space, that takes a little time maybe, mm -hmm. but sit down and just listen to somebody. They will appreciate it immensely. You will benefit from it. You will feel much better. And you might have a different perspective and attitude and behavior moving forward in terms of this population that we neglect mm -hmm. and uh, set aside. Mm -hmm. And that's the first step. And if more and more people can have a conversation about it and more and more people find out that we are all human yeah. with, our, with very common needs, uh, the world will be a bit, little better place. Yeah, and and are you are you still actively involved in, with any particular organization here? No, uh, in I, the San Diego market or in any market at all. I, city? I, I support Father Joe. I've been down there for years and years in the you know soup kitchen and all the all the stuff that they do. Mm -hmm. I try to help them out and also financially, and uh, I, I try to connect and work with people and organizations all over the country. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm primarily on my own mission of just going out on the street still and, and, and dealing with them on a, a, a camp-wise mm -hmm. camp or individual basis. Yeah. Wow. So, Brian Hilliard, really do appreciate you spending some time here with us, uh, kicking off the, <laughs> the series here uh, as, as we look to, to reinvent homelessness and uh, as I said at the top of the the hour here and uh, as I'll continue to say throughout the series um, I, I don't know if we're going to come out of this with any uh, solutions no. um, I do think we're taking steps in the right direction even based on this conversation uh, as if you I mean even just as you said just just taking that one simple step of just listening yeah and, yeah. and even just having a, a conversation yeah. with someone who is uh, clearly uh, downtrodden and, and probably could just use uh, an unthreatening ear, ear, right? Someone who doesn't necessarily want to help them, but just listen to yeah. them is help in and of itself. And maybe, maybe that is one of the simplest solutions right now. Well, I just want to thank you guys for uh, starting this conversation and uh, yeah. dealing with this issue because San Diego needs you. The country needs us um, to expand our awareness and, and thoughts about solutions. And I just end with, uh, you know, Sisters of the Roads, you know, uh, philosophy, and that is in this room or in, uh, in this world, there's no strangers. There's just friends that mm -hmm. we haven't met yet. Yeah. Well, I love that. Beautiful. Oh, Richie, we, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have an interesting month here, and uh, Mary will be back. Uh, next week, and uh, and she'll get in on that conversation as well. And Wade, glad you were able to uh, jump in on this. Emperor Wade, I'm sorry. Yes, yes Wade. Emperor Wade. Uh, <laughs> so glad you were able to jump in on this as well. So, all right, Brian Hilliard, thank you so much for joining us today here on part one of our series on reinventing homelessness. And for Richie Ote and Mary Goulet and White Wade, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Thanks, Reinvention Radio. Thank you. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com That's myultimatedirectory.com